Hello, my dear friends. Greg Kokel here on Stand to Reason, and uh, thank you for being part of my life today. Um, it's good to be with you and chat with you about things that really matter. I uh, want to give you a quick update here when I, as I start out on the, um, I almost said rethink, a reality coming up. You know, this is just the 11th year of this project used to be called the other thing now it's reality but it's amazing what has has happened in in 11 years it's amazing to me uh sold out in southern california sold out in seattle you know, well you can't sell hard to sell a 4400 seat church in minneapolis but we sold 3300 seats and that's almost that feels pretty full and then uh, a week and a half ago in uh, Dallas, sold out again. And we're looking at Philly. We got 268 seats left available for March 25th and 26th in Philadelphia for our reality there. Uh, only got room for 1,000. Okay. In Georgia, six weeks out, we got 362. And uh, they can take a little bit more, but uh, I'm guaranteeing that that's going to be sold out too. If you want more information about being part of this, wonderful conference realityapologetics.com is the place to go and we would love to see you there a full filled up standing room only wall to wall young people there to learn how to uh why Christianity is actually true, true in its deepest sense. So uh, just letting you know I was in uh, Seattle area last weekend and had a fabulous time at a men's retreat with uh, Christ Church Federal Way on Friday night and Saturday, and then Sunday morning, both services in the church proper. And one of the things that I spoke about with the men is a talk I haven't given in quite a while. Uh, I call it no pixie dust, but it did occur to me as I'm, as I'm doing the talk and being influenced by the material and information and biblical truth myself. As I'm I'm teaching, I'm being taught, which that's the best circumstance, isn't it? You pass it on, but you get to keep some. (laughs) And uh, I love that. And many of the times when I teach, especially if I'm teaching on a biblical topic as opposed to a practical apologetics-oriented thing, when I'm teaching on a biblical topic, it is frequently the case where I kind of get zapped a little bit by the material. I'm going through it to pass it on, but some of it's sticking to me. It's for me. And that's that's the wonderful dynamic of being involved in the Word of God. There is this ineffable element, hard-to-express element, that is attached to God's Word— that is supernatural and has significance in our lives. And even when we're teaching others about the thing that is significant in the Word for them, we often realize, well, I really needed to hear this myself. And in this talk called No Pixie Dust, I start out by giving my personal testimony, which I'm not going to go over now. I think I've done that before here on the air. But I... I, uh, I, I, I use that as a springboard into a, a reflection on my, what I've learned in my own life, 48 years a Christian, and actively involved in 
productive things those for the whole 48 years as a follower of Christ. And I've had good people around me to keep me standing up rather than falling down badly. And uh, so there's been no major falters in 48 years. Um, but there are some things that I've learned that I that are, I'm not sure if I want to say unexpected, maybe that's the right word, that are things that Christians don't talk about much, that are realities of our spiritual journey. I call the this talk, the subtitle is, Four Hard Realities of the Christian Life, something to that effect. Four Hard Realities. And I thought maybe I'd just talk as we start the show out here, and callers are getting in the queue. Incidentally, 855 Two four three nine nine seven five is the number, and uh, of course, many of you, most of you, are listening through podcast delay. I'm on live here on Tuesdays, four to six p.m. Los Angeles time. So uh, you can do the math wherever you happen to be, even out of the country. That's all right. You got a call coming in from Wisconsin, and uh, that's cool. So um, I got um, you know. This is the time to call me and chat with me if you want to interact. Now, people who have questions and aren't able to call in, uh, you can send those questions with the hashtag STRask attached to them on Twitter or even on our Facebook. I'm sorry, even on our our website where you have a response device and you could contact us kind of thing. But we want to have a Twitter length. I think that's 220 characters. So keep it tight and uh, send it to us with a hashtag STRask. And that's the way that Amy can look locate it in the, uh, in, the, 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 in the cloud, as it were, the, uh, the digital world, whatever that world is out there. And then we, we talk about those. This morning we did three shows together, and they were magnificent questions. And Amy is fabulous, just fabulous. One thing we discovered, by the way, a um, uh, week and a half ago at Dallas, because Amy's job is to be the Bible answer man, and to be the answer person, not just Bible, all kinds of stuff, but related to Christianity. So many came up to her and uh, told her that they were listeners to the program. So there's a different dynamic there with Amy on board, and uh, I think it's fabulous. I love those shows, so you may want to plan to listen to STR, hashtag STRask, um, and the connectivity information's on our website, str.org. And now I'm not sure how I got off of that tangent, but I was talking a little bit about hard realities of spiritual growth and how, as I'm talking about these difficult things that I have learned, and, and they're not just, I'm not just merely speaking from experience. I'm not saying, here is my experience, and you ought to have my experience. I am saying, here is the experience of that I've had that is consistent with, with, uh, with Christians who have walked steadily for a long time with Christ. And it's entirely biblical, these details, but they aren't the things that we talk about much, partly because I, I, I'm pretty convinced there's an overly triumphal characterization of Christianity that we hear in church and from Christian speakers. And, uh, of course, I think we, we 
we triumph in Christ, but the triumph that the Scripture talks about is perseverance and steadfastness during good times and in bad, and holding strong to those things in faithfulness to Christ, or, as I often put it, our audience of one, even when the rest of the world is moving in another direction. And so there is a triumph there that the Scriptures talk about, but it isn't the kind of—I'm not referring to that, because that's not what other people are referring to. The triumphalism that I have in mind that characterize others is this, this, this sense that everything's wonderful— if you really know the Lord, if you're walking with the Lord well, everything's going to go pretty smoothly. You know, we have hard times, yes, but man, there's joy in the Lord, and that's our strength, and and that's communicated. That There is a biblical truth there, but the way it's communicated is this is the standard living circumstance of the Christian, and I do not think that's true. And if it's supposed to be for the mature Christian that that is the standard characterization, the standard experience, then I am not a good Christian. I am not a mature Christian, because that has not been true in my life. But I also think this hasn't been true in most people's lives, though we don't talk about that. And so consequently, we have a sense of spiritual inferiority that we face. We think everybody else is doing great, but we're not doing so hot in certain ways, and then this, this sets us back. So what I do in this talk is I talk about these four things that are surprising, uh, surprising truths. And the, and, and the reason I call it no pixie dust is because it, my point is there's nothing magical about spiritual growth. There's no just zip-zap spiritual pizang. Wow, we got it. We go to the right place at the right time and have the right experience, and we are, we are catapulted into a different spiritual realm. That's a bit of an overstatement, kind of hyperbole there, but it, it, it does seem to be the way some people characterize it. In fact, there's, there, there are whole theologies that are built around this notion. You get to the right point of personal surrender in your life, and this you turn a corner. You just turn a radical corner. Incidentally, I believe there are moments like that in people's lives. There's no question. The question here is, what is the average Christian, the ordinary Christian, the everyday Christian supposed to expect about what it's supposed to feel like or be like to be in relationship with the God of the universe? And I'll tell you one thing, it's not the same as being in a relationship with other human beings. In fact, during the Q&A, we had a sweet gentleman who has logged many, many years with the Lord. And in many circumstances, even pastoral ministry. But he asked me, um, you know, we we talk about, oh, do you know the Lord? Do do you know the Lord? I know the Lord. And we see language like that in the Bible. But what does it actually mean to know the Lord? We know what it means to know God, like uh, to know other people. We learn facts about them and we interact with them and whatever. We share experiences with them. But what does it mean to know the Lord? And... Um, and and you know my response entailed among other things that a relationship with god is not like a relationship with another human being this is a mistake if we think of it that way in fact there are some people in trying to determine what a relationship with god is like that they start with relationships with other humans 
and we say, okay, this is what a personal relationship looks like, and I have friends or spouses or uh, children, whatever, people that we're in relationship with, other humans, then we use that as a, as a, as a, uh, a prototype of some sort or as a measure or as a vehicle to understand our relationship with God. I actually think that goes in the wrong direction because our relationship with God is not, is not parallel with our relationship with other human beings. I think what we ought to do is look in the Scripture and see what Scripture says about knowing God, walking with God, being a person, a child of God, existentially, experientially, day-to-day. And then, insofar as what we learn from the Scripture touches on or parallels something we we have in our relationships with other people, then we can trade on that as a parallel. Well, Scripture says this about us with God. And, you know, with with our relationships with each other, there's a similarity here, and so we use that as an analog. But we don't go the other direction, and some people have done that. What does it mean to be in relationship with each other? Well, we communicate with each other. I talk to you, you talk to me. So, therefore, if we're in relationship with God, we talk to God, and He should talk to us. And notice the conclusion is based on an analog with human relationships, but this is not what the Scripture teaches. There is no such thing in Scripture as listening prayer. It doesn't exist. It's never characterized in any way, shape, or form, though much about prayer is mentioned there. Um, Well, there's a lot said about the Word of God and listening to the Word that is the word that's given to everyone, Scripture, but nothing, nothing indicated about this private communication with God that is propositional that we are all supposed to have. That is a mistaken application of human relationships to a divine relationship. And so this gets folks in trouble constantly if we don't realize that a relationship with God is very different than a relationship with another human being. There are similarities. But the differences are so massive that if we keep thinking in those terms, then we are. I think we're going to suffer disappointment. And to some degree, this is why I, I, have, I give this particular talk. For one thing, and so this would be the first hard reality, is spiritual growth takes a lot of time. I'm 48 years a Christian, and I'm looking at things that I would like to be different in my life that aren't different. The things that I've been working on for a long time, or aware of for a long time. Now, somebody noted that it's kind of like going up a a spiral staircase. You are getting better, but you keep as you're round and round and round, you are, you're going higher, but you're passing the same vertical points as you keep moving around. And maybe there's something to that. Because I'm not suggesting things don't get better. Of course they get better. And when I say better, I mean they get that, that, that God makes us into more virtuous people. This is what I mean. All right. Um, it doesn't mean that life gets easier. But the key thing here that I'm focusing in on in this first point is that it just takes a lot of time. 
Now, I noticed something, by the way, in Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, and maybe you've noticed it as well, and I think he picked up this notion um, from MacDonald before him, the Scottish um, fantasy writer who developed some of the same themes. Now, I haven't read MacDonald, but Lewis has, and uh, was deeply influenced by MacDonald. And, and one of the things that you see in Narnia it doesn't matter whether it's the uh, the silver chair or the horse and the boy or the voyage of the dawn treader. Whenever there is a need to travel somewhere, over land or over sea, it takes a long, long, long time. So the the protagonists um take take off to find the lost prince in the silver chair and um they are traveling north and traveling north and traveling north and day after day after day after day and in the horse and the boy the boy and the horse are traveling north over the through woods and dale and desert and wasteland day after day after day after day and week after week after week, and the Dawn Treader is sailing for week after week after week after week. And during this time, nothing significant is happening except for they're just moving forward, slogging their way towards their destinations. What is Lewis trying to tell us? This is the Christian life. We plod on. We plod and we plod and we plod and we plod and we keep showing up. We keep doing what we need to do, but our sense of progress sometimes feels like it's non-existent. And I, I, I confess to that awareness myself. Now, I know there's progress. Others have reflected on it. And I've seen God, God's fruitfulness in my own life, both privately in some ways and publicly. And I suspect you can bear witness to that, which is why you're listening to the show. But it's plodding and plodding and plodding in my own spiritual life. And, uh, and with a desire to make a difference and trusting God in my own frustrations with the slowness that a difference is being made. But it's being made by Him. We, as Paul says in Second Corinthians 4, we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the surpassing greatness of the glory be from God and not from men. And so he understands, he had a humble spirit. There was a glory being revealed through Paul's work, but he, he realized he was just an earthen vessel, and God allows us to see that frequently. And I think that sometimes is a, an occasion for discouragement when it's, in fact, an occasion for, for growth, for God to see, helps us to see our latitude, our, our liabilities, rather, and our limitations that we have feet made of clay, that we don't glory in our, in our failures, but we do acknowledge our need and the fact that, um, that it is God that works in us uh, both to will and to work for his good pleasure, okay? So um, part of what I'm talking about is here is 
and I should have said this earlier, is the concern that perfectly normal and productive and growing Christians oftentimes feel defeated when their chief deficiency is a unrealistic expectation of what spiritual growth really entails. Um, what I'm saying here is that spiritual growth takes time, and a lot of it. And uh, I mean, and and that it's slow and uh, and it's confusing and perplexing. I'm actually combining two thoughts here at the same time, so uh, let me repair that. Um, you know, when Scripture talks about what we are able to produce that's useful, the metaphor that is used is fruit. Um, Jesus talked about being the vine and we are the branches, and if we abide in him, we'll bear much fruit. In Galatians chapter what 5, they have the fruits of the Spirit. Now, keep in mind that fruit becomes, all right? It's something that develops over time. And um, there, it is natural to want immediate gratification of the good spiritual things that we have in mind. I, I, I talk to young people, but it's but but there's a but, <laughs> and that is the the waiting is for a purpose. Early on in my Christian life, um, my discipler Craig Englert and I had kind of a joke. You know, and the joke was that I was always the trainee. Oh, I'm a trainee. I'm a trainee. Um, Because I was looking for a more permanent post as a Christian worker somewhere, and it never really happened. I was earning my living through other means, carpentry largely for a long time. And, And I was just Okay, I, um, I'm earning it this way, and I'm just kind of trainee. I would do this, a little of that, a little of that, and I'm always the trainee. And when will I get into full-time Christian work? It didn't happen for probably 11 years, or maybe, yeah, about 11 years, 10 or 11 years after I became a Christian. Now, I had spent time in Eastern Europe when there was an iron, behind the Iron Curtain, when there was one. I had been, I had, I had lived in Thailand for a year. I had been doing mountaineering programs. I had, I had, you know, I've done a lot of stuff, but I was still kind of trade stage. But it's so clear to me now, many, 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 obviously, years later, that that time was so well spent. The time that God gave, that delayed me, was absolutely necessary for me to be able to move into the kinds of responsibilities that he's given me. And even though we are frustrated, and even though we, we don't think we're moving forward effectively, um, or we're moving forward as quickly as we wanted, God is still working and working, and maybe you're being held back for a reason by God. It's great to have the ambition. It's great to bang on the door and try to get through the door, and you don't have to worry about getting ahead of God, okay? That betrays a, a, an understanding of God's will that I don't think is biblically sound. Go for it. But that may you may not prosper in it yet. The doors may not open, and God knows that. And so you got to make do with what you have. You 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 just have to keep pressing forward and being faithful with what's been given you. This is what I mean by the phrase "bloom 
where you're planted. And by the way, you know, love, joy, peace, patience. <laughs> patience is a fruit of the Spirit. Uh, God doesn't give us that. God teaches it to us. I mean, we want patience, and we don't want it right now, you know, kind of thing. But it, as like a fruit, it develops over time. And he teaches us patience. And sometimes we're looking for the door out, but uh, often the only door out is time. Um, never mind. That's okay. That's what I'm saying. You stay with your hand to the plow. You stay in the race, to mix my metaphors. You keep following Christ. You do what's right. You bloom where you're planted. And let God work out the timing issues. You can be as ambitious and bold as you want. There's nothing wrong with that. Move out. Don't wait on God the way many people suggest you need to. Don't do anything until God tells you to do it. This is not a biblical concept. There may be occasions in the Old Testament where individuals should have, like David, consulted God. He was in a very unique circumstance. It's certainly not a New Testament principle. We have our marching orders. We have spiritual gifts that can be used productively. We look around to find those places where they can be used productively. That's what we do. And if God then wants to move us further, that's his business. To him who is faithful in little will be given much. There is no pixie dust, so to speak, that will be transforming you instantly into spiritual giants, but that's okay. You're not substandard. Time is an important factor in real change. There you go. All right, let's take a quick break, and then we'll talk with you guys on the phone on Stand to Reason. Would you like a Stand to Reason speaker to speak at your church or event? Greg, Alan, Tim, and our newest apologist, John Noyes, are available, both in person and online. Just email booking at str.org to schedule them today. Our speakers can address a wide array of topics, from bioethics, gender issues and science, to theology, philosophy, and how to respond to other worldviews, all from a biblical perspective. Whether it's a Sunday sermon, Zoom conference, or YouTube live event, our skilled and engaging speakers can be there, either physically or virtually, with the goal of equipping Christians to effectively influence the culture for Christ. To read their bios and learn more about the topics they cover, visit str.org. Then email booking at str.org to schedule Greg, Alan, Tim, or John today. Have you ever wondered how Stand to Reason is able to produce fresh, accessible content each week? We rely on generous donors so that we can provide you with the tools and tactics you need to be an effective ambassador for Christ. If you've benefited from this podcast or any of our donor-provided resources, including our apps, blog posts, articles, and short videos, consider making a financial contribution to Stand to Reason today. Just visit str.org slash donate to show your financial support. It has been an honor providing you with a host of free resources for more than 27 years to help you give voice to the Christian worldview. Help us continue by making a financial gift today at str.org slash donate. 
All right, here we go. And in Wisconsin, my uh, just about favorite state, it's tied for two. Asher, welcome to Stand to Reason. Greg Kokel, don't lie to me. Wisconsin's your favorite place. Come on now. Where, where where are you at in maybe I've asked you this before, I don't know. Where oh, are you there? Wait, what's going on? Sounds like somebody's dying. Uh oh. Can you can you hear me? I, yeah, I can now. Where in Wisconsin are you, Asher? Sorry about that. I'm in Rice Lake, Wisconsin. That's about an hour north of Eau Claire, if you know where that is. Wait, say the name of it again, it was a little lot clearer. Um hold on a second. Rice Lake, Wisconsin, about an hour north of oh, Claire. Rice Lake, Wisconsin. Yes, yeah. in, that's in the western side. That's right. That's right. Is that right? That, yep. Oh, hold on a second. Let me, let me try something. For some reason, it is really hard to understand your words. Are you on speaker? Is that better? A little bit, I think. Okay, yeah, my, my phone is pretty disastrous. I, uh, okay, I'm got it. I'm a dairy farmer, and I use it in pretty awful places. So. Oh, I see. Okay. All right. So Rice Lake, Wisconsin. Gotcha. That's right. Okay, That's right. good. So what's on your mind? Well, I, uh, I volunteer at a community college here in Rice Lake with, uh, with Campus Crusades for Christ. And, uh, yeah, the story is we were hanging out on Monday for our Bible study and just kind of doing the preamble to the real discussion, and we were talking about how uh, this Friday, the 11th, they're going to be lifting mass mandates at the college. Uh-huh. Wow. Uh, By the way, I, why, do, why do they, if they're going to lift the mandate, and they know that the—this is just an aside here, because I've had the same question with other uh, places who are doing the same thing. <clears throat> if they're going to lift the mandate, why are they waiting another week or whatever? To me, it's like an armistice. Okay, we're going to have a ceasefire in this war next week. Well, what about all the people who die between now and then? Why don't you just say, we're done today? Why don't they yeah. just say that? Well, you know, and that, that ties into, I, I can't speak for the administration, but it ties into the question, I, I feel. Okay. And, um, but uh, anyways. So what are you facing? So, well, what we're doing is we were joking around and like, hey, we should have a celebration. We should celebrate mass being done. And I kind of jokingly said, you know, in the... Uh, in the spirit of the feminists of the 60s, you know, the 60s, <laughs> how we should burn our masks. Right. And, uh, you know, and that was very tongue-in-cheek, but a couple of people uh, kind of brightened up and like, hey, that's a good idea. Let's, Not a bit. <laughs> let's, let's, let's mask Why didn't burn. I think of that? Yeah, exactly. So, and, you know, I didn't expect people to latch onto it, but they did, and I kind of tempered it a little bit. Well, you know, maybe we don't call it a mask burning. Maybe we just say a and we do it on the 18th was kind of the date we picked. Uh, it would be a barbecue by the riverside at the campus. Uh, there'd be food. It would be presented as a uh, pre-spring break barbecue. Uh, <laughs> and then kind of tongue-in-cheek as we Sure, talk to sure. Does somebody object? Hey, we're going to celebrate no masks. And if you want to burn one in the fire, you know, whatever. And, um, and uh, I kind of, and, well, anyway. So a couple people later on, they texted me and kind of expressed concern that, well, should crew be advancing this sort of thing? They're, to be clear, there's only five of us in the group. It's a pretty sleepy little college, uh, but a couple people are okay, kind of concerned. Okay, I'm just, wait, I'm, I'm just a little confused here. When they say, should crew be advancing this sort of thing, what do they understand this to be, that it's one of those sorts of things? Well, it, it's exactly. a mask burning. 
Exactly. It's like, well, and this is the conversation I was starting to have with them. It's like, would we, if we, if we said that we were going to burn old socks or old hats, what do you think that would raise any eyebrows? Like, well, no, they would think it's strange and why would you waste your time? But that's essentially what masks are. Yeah, we know they're not helpful and we know that they're harmful, in fact, to certain people in certain contexts. So why are people, why would people get upset by this? And while this is, and, uh, and the idea, I'm assuming I'm speaking for them. I'm seeing, I'm assuming the idea that well, you know, it's it's uh, we don't want to be frivolously provocative, and we don't want to. Uh, well, frivolously, okay. Let me let me just jump in for a moment. Uh, let's just say um, I have another illustration that I think is more parallel, and that is, let's say somebody's lame, and then they're no longer lame, and they've been walking with crutches for years and now they're no longer lame for whatever reason and they're free of their crutches and they say I'm going to I'm going to celebrate by burning my crutches. So now you got a thing that relates to health and I'm not even we're not even disputing whether or not this is a legitimate health thing. We are just glad to be rid of it and this yeah. is a way of celebrating that. Now I don't how is that un, I I don't understand how that could be what did you say? Unnecessarily divisive or upsetting or offensive to people? How how could that possibly, in any in any reasonable fashion, be upset? Look, at people can get upset about anything. I get that. Okay, yeah. you can raise your eyebrows to at the wrong time, and people, whatever, they're just going to be set up. We can't guarantee that people aren't going to be upset. I do not think that this is in, in itself provocative. It's a celebration. I will tell you something, Asher. I have said this many times. One of these days, I'm talking I'm in, the, in line, and we're wearing these things, and people are griping, and I'm saying, one of these days, we're going to have a bonfire, and we're going to burn these things. I have actually said that a number of times. What could be wrong with celebrating that we no longer have to wear these things, even if they are were useful for a purpose at a time? I don't get that. Right, and I'm totally 100% on board with you, uh, it's uh, and what and what and the the reason I would like to stump for it and kind of push it a little bit um, is that uh, I, I'm, the masks are very clearly emblematic of some deeper issues going on in people's hearts and minds. Sure, sure. Well, you could speak to. I know in past podcasts you don't like, and I, I, I agree with you to a point. You shouldn't use the word idle. So just you know you shouldn't use it as pastorism, but it has acquired a certain pseudo-religious ethos. Mm-hmm. You know, people, there's a ritual to putting it on, and there's a platonic uh, and evangelize it to people. Hey, put your mask on. Put it over your nose. Well, it, it does. It what it does is it it does represent a, a particular understanding of what's appropriate for culture that a whole lot of people disagree with. I think with reason, and uh, and it has taken on. A, a dimension that goes beyond the question of health to the question of control, and I and this is what I can see part of what the enjoy, pardon me the enjoyment of having a mask burning party is not just get rid of the mask but also to destroy this this uh, thing that is an image of 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 oppression uh, at at a certain level. I, I understand it completely. I don't. Okay. Yeah. Well. No. Yeah. It's, uh, we're on the same page here. I guess the question is, uh, well, in in my 
from my standpoint, I'm just a volunteer. I'm not a student. And if I and if people don't want to invite the five people that we have coming, if they don't want to invite people to this, if they're not comfortable, it's not going to go anywhere. Um, you know, it won't it won't be something that anyone attends. So I kind of have that going in the background. But in your opinions, is this something I should press a little bit and kind of put them on? You know, this is this is why it's okay, and this is why any animosity we might face is in fact uh, foolish and irrational, and we should be able to courageously... Like, it's not even that courageous. Like, if we were doing this March 2021, it might have raised... It might have... There might have been... Well, a it's like a flag burning or something like that. It's, a, it's an act of protest to do something that's wrong or illegal or whatever. Uh, what's interesting is even flag burning was considered by the Supreme Court as a legitimate act of free speech. I mean, that's already been decided a long time ago. And, and okay, what's the, what's the alternative? Well, the alternative is we're done with these masks and we throw them in a dumpster. Okay, you throw them in a dumpster... You throw. What if we all got together and all got them in a big bag and threw them all in the dumpster at the same time? Oh, so it's 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 the celebra- it's the celebratory element that people it seems are taking offense at. I actually think that there's a difference between giving offense and taking offense, and I think that we need to be sensitive to people. I was just reading this recently in Romans or somewhere, you know, about uh, about about giving offense or others taking offense. But I do think that there is a line, you know, and in fact, Jesus offended some people. And he was right. he was challenged on that, and he said, "Oh, you don't like this? Why don't you try this one?" And he hammers back at the other guy. So, um, what I think has happened in our culture is people have used the notion of being offended as a tool of manipulation to get people to either be silent on something that they shouldn't be silenced on because there should be a latitude or liberty to speak different ideas, or, 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 or to stop doing something that uh, the other person doesn't want them to do. It becomes a manipulation. I'm offended. I mean, how many times have you heard that in the news? Some parent called in, said they were offended, so the entire policy got changed. So we're giving in. Everybody's got to change because of some unreasonable, un- a selfish notion. So I'm just laying out, you know, to me, these are some of the issues. These are some of the little twists and turns. I don't know what's going on. There's some banging that I can hear through the mic. I don't know. I mean, through my headsets, like click, clack, bang, bang. So, um, that better? Uh, yeah, much better. Yeah. So, well, there it goes again. But anyway, what I, I'm laying this out saying there is a place for us to be virtuously sensitive to people who might be offended, but a whole lot of people are being offended at things that are not offensive. And because they're, you know, uh, we're going to bring your mic down just because it's really um, interfering there. Okay, thank you, um, Kyle. So um, we brought your sound down. So um, there are a lot of people who 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 are are using this thing, I'm offended, just as a tool of manipulation. And there's a lot of Christians or just normal people that are that are appeasers in this regard. Oh, okay, we don't want to be offensive, so we're going to give you whatever you want in your manipulative. And I'm not really a fan of that. I think when it comes to particular circumstances, like maybe, Asher, what you're facing at crew, 
Um, it's a you're going to have to look at all the circumstances and ask some people that are more associated, closely associated with your group, and see is this going to be inappropriate or is this going to be all good fun, and uh, and then draw your draw your decisions there. But um, I I it does annoy me that you have some people in the crowd that are making a fuss now about this, and well, that's going to be offensive. Well, why would anybody be offended for lit- legitimately and actually offended? So we just brought your sound back up there. Um, Al- Asher, what do you think of that? Well, I I agree with everything you got going on there. It's, um, yeah, it's just a, it's a matter of how to present it to these uh, to these students that I'm working with in a way that to kind of encourage them that that this is not something like how to say it. You know, it's basically Christians have like like you've alluded to Christians starting with Jesus have a long and storied history of offending people, um, of, of standing for truth and being courageous and so forth, and and that's uh, that involves discomfort and so forth. So. I guess how to present that to them in a way to kind of convince them that no, we shouldn't be afraid that people might come after us or might be upset by. And by the way, if they did, it would be completely irrational. Well, see, this would be yeah. my, this would be my more my point in the circumstance, and and uh, um, and uh, Asher, my point would be it, it, it is. N- I don't think there's a parallel here with Christian suffering in the past for truth, because there's no issue of truth that's at stake. This is just a frivolous, fun thing. These things are really annoying. Some people think they are right. Let's say, okay, now that the official deal is they're done with, let's just get rid of them. Let's, let's burn them, and then just all rejoice that it's over with. So if somebody's going to get upset about that, that strikes me as kind of bizarre, and I don't think you should worry about it. Because if that you're worried about that, every single time you say anything that might be perceived as being a criticism of something on the political left, then you're not going to be able to speak it. Okay, you're not going to be able to do it. And uh, I I think unless there's no, you're not breaking the law, you're not making a big statement about anything, you're just getting rid of these things in a fun way and saying, boy, enough of that, glad that's over with. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. And I think that's the best way to to communicate it. Let's not worry about people be offended about something that's not offensive. Okay. I love that. I'm going to use that line for sure. Okay. All right. Great talking to you, Asher. Appreciate your call. And uh, I think, okay, buddy, thanks. Uh, What we're going to do is go to another break, and then uh, we'll be back with more calls on Stand to Reason. You can take Stand to Reason with you through our mobile apps, available for free from the App Store or the Google Play Store. The Quick Reference app gives you short, easily accessible courses on our most popular topics like tactics, homosexuality in the Bible, morality, the story of reality, and many more. The Stand to Reason app has all our latest content available at your fingertips. You can listen to our podcasts, check the blog, and access timely and practical resources. They're free, so download the apps today on the App Store or the Google Play Store and start carrying Stand to Reason with you everywhere you go. If you enjoy our apps, you can help other people find them by rating them on the App Store or the Google Play Store. Do you know that killing an unborn human being is against the law in most states? The only exception is when the mother wants her child dead and asks a doctor to kill it. Then it's legal. It's protected. It's funded by our tax dollars. And today, the freedom to choose is even celebrated. We live in a world where a woman decides whether another innocent and defenseless human being lives 
or dies. But is it that simple? Don't women have a right to control their own bodies? Can't many poor women not afford to have another baby? Should a woman who is raped be forced to carry the criminal's baby? It's complicated. It's chaos. But there's a solution. There's a way to make sense of the confusion. We need to anchor our thinking about abortion to reality. Then we'll see how we can help both unborn human beings as well as our born mothers who face a difficult decision. Join us for this year's reality conference where we'll see how the solution to abortion will bring clarity to the chaos. Go to realityapologetics.com to get dates and locations for the Student Apologetics event of the year. All righty. Back at you here, Greg Kokel. Stand to Reason is the show, and uh, DJ in Los Angeles. Let me find the button here. DJ, welcome to the show. Hey, what's up, Greg? How you doing? I'm doing good. Are you a disc jockey, or that's just uh, your initials? That's just my initials. Oh, yeah, okay. People always butcher my first name, so I figured <laughs> I'd keep it, make it easy for All me. right, good. All right, DJ, thanks. What's on your mind? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I wrote my question down because I figured I'd butcher that also. So here we go, all right? All right. So, uh, so I was listening to uh, William Federer, or Bill Federer, the historian. Are you familiar with that guy? Who was it? Uh, William Federer or Bill Federer. Federer, he is he a, a philosopher? No, he's more so of a historian, but he goes to a lot of churches. and. Uh, okay, all right. But anyway, but yeah, so he was giving a talk on socialism, and uh, he spoke of how empires and nations in the past imploded and self-destructed. Yeah. Right. And so my question to you, you know, uh, as you survey the American culture today, you know, like when you look out on the landscape of our country, Mm-hmm. Uh, do you believe we have reached a point of no return? Mm. Why or why not? Well, um, I guess the broader question is no return from what? So if if you if you're thinking, are we on the road to socialism? For example, I don't know. I'm not sure if that's what you're saying, but if we're on the road to socialism, have we gone so far that we cannot turn back and we will eventually be socialist, or have we how far down the road on whatever item? I don't know what the road is that you have in mind, and maybe it's the same thing that he was talking about, Federer, uh, that the socialistic road. Maybe that's what he had in view there. Is that what you're asking about? Yeah, I think so. But, uh, and also maybe another point that I'm thinking of in my mind is like, uh, like the post truth era that we're in now where, you know, there's, there's no such thing as truth. And I think the more that God is removed from our culture and I always mess this GK Chesterton, mm-hmm. Chesterton quote up, I was butchered, man, I messed it up. But what does he say? Like, Whenever you turn away from God, you have nothing else to turn to. Something like that. Like, yeah. Once you take God out of the equation, like you literally have nothing else. And right. It's just craziness, you know. Right. So, I well, I certainly agree with the trend. And as far as the socialism is concerned, I think there's lots of hope. And um, there's there's I mean, if you're just thinking, forget. Let's just set the spiritual element aside, God's sovereignty and everything. Just from the perspective of a human being looking at our culture, it is, it is on uh, um, uh, going in a direction that's very discouraging. However, um, you know, 
from a human perspective, there are elections coming up here in six or seven or eight months or whatever it is. And um, there's a lot of people that are very, very unhappy with the direction things have been going. And so it certainly is possible, because we have suffrage, we can vote, that people are going to vote in a way that's going to change the direction of the country, okay? Um, One of the ironies is right now the uh, big business has been kind of partnering with the left on a lot of things, and the irony is that the left, er, the big business is capitalistic and the left isn't. But I think that's because all big business is doing now is following the money. They're doing what's cool and what's going to make them look good to consumers. And when when uh, they are forced to surrender the thing that makes them big and that makes them business, then that's going to be a different business, I suspect. So that's another element in play here, speaking simply from a um, a a. a a cultural perspective, okay? Now, um, God can do whatever he wants. I don't know that God himself is concerned about maintaining free markets, although I think free market capitalism is something that is the, the best hope for the poor, you know, certainly not socialism. So if I was thinking as a virtuous human being— then I would advance the kind of system that has the most hope of helping the most people. And mm-hmm. and that's clearly capitalism, not any form of socialism, okay? Socialism has a dismal record, where capitalism has a great record of pulling people um, out of the gutter, so to speak, economically. So there's another uh, element there that borderline spiritual. Uh, that you mentioned something else, though, that has to do with um, the post-truth era. <clears throat> and I actually, I, I, I think this post-truth stuff is kind of, I don't even want to say it's a fad, because one of the things I talked about on Friday night when I gave my talk that included my testimony is the kinds of things that we uh, that we that were, were avant garde avant garde there in the '60s when I was in started college mid '60s late '60s you know and a lot of this narcissistic if if it feels good do it different folks for different folks you know whatever turns you on these are all sayings that were relativistic and narcissistic okay and um, we we weren't we didn't care about the truth in a sense. And all of that stuff has come home to roost in big ways here. The, the, the fact is, though, that every human being is made in the image of God, and they care about truth because they make discernments of truth every single day. And if they couldn't determine what some things that were true, actually a lot of things that were true, they'd be dead in a day. So uh, most human beings are common sense realists unless unless their ox is getting gored, you know, they want what they want, right? And so they're going to campaign for relativism, for example, no truth, until somebody else's no truth hurts them. And then they're going to moan and complain and say, that ain't right. You know what I'm saying? That wasn't true or something, you know. So they are scattered. what What is guiding the enterprise, what is guiding the enterprise is uh, selfishness. And so the, people are 
truth seekers by nature, um, but they are going to use whatever means that they can to justify their own licentiousness. And so, just like me, when I was in, in college in the late 60s and early 70s, I was a moral relativist. There is no right and wrong. It's just a matter of individual thing, but the war in Vietnam is wrong. In the in a more and of course when I mean when I said that I meant that in a more absolute sense it's an immoral war, really. Wait, what happened to my relativism? Well, it wasn't convenient at that point. So, so can I ask you a question? Sure. To kind of kind of swing back around to the point that you made about you know the elections, the midterms that are coming up here soon. Right. Like, uh, at least where I grew up, like Christians didn't get involved. Uh, in politics, you know, it's kind of like, hey, I'm going to just leave it in the Lord's hands. I expect sinners to be sinners, so I'm not worried about yeah. who's in office and things of that nature. Yeah. And uh, and so I wonder, though, I think, like, do you think things have kind of gotten so crazy, like, in terms, like, you know, everything that's going on is because the church is kind of just sitting back quietly with our hands folded, you know, like, well, we don't want well, uh, we to ruffle right. any feathers, so we're just going to sit back, not get involved in politics. DJ, that's a, that's a great observation. I think there's a lot of truth to it. Uh, something like 65% of the people in America self-identify as Christians, and if that if they were real Christians, you would think the, the world, the country would look a lot better than it does in terms of practical virtue and, and, and the like. Um, now, I think that's a gross exaggeration of how many are, are genuine Christians, uh, the kinds of Christians that are regenerate and defined the way Scripture would define a follower of Christ or a disciple of Christ. Um, but uh, but I, I nevertheless, even those who are followers of Christ oftentimes are not politically active, not even voting. Now, we have suffrage. We have an opportunity to make a difference for good. And we are obliged, in my view, and I've written about this in the past, and probably something will come out maybe in, in the fall, that we have a we have a, 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 a duty to do the best we can and accomplish the most good um, with the opportunities that we have. Now, it doesn't mean we have to run for office. We don't have to necessarily go marching and whatever, but but we we have an opportunity when we have an opportunity to good to do good we ought to do it i think there's in proverbs chapter 3 it says um something about the problem of withholding good from him to whom it is due when we are able to do it don't uh-huh. you, you don't do that that's dumb and so i think we have that responsibility and a lot of christians have not exercised that responsibility and so evil has prevailed Keep in mind, by the way, with regards to politics, that Paul himself appealed to Caesar on his behalf because he wasn't getting a righteous shake, a fair shake, at the hands of the Jews and the prefects there in Judea. And so he appealed to Caesar. He took it to a higher court. And uh, he was using the process of politics to sustain his proper rights. Yeah, that's that's powerful because you know, honestly, Greg, I think what really woke me up to the idea of uh, like being more vocal and getting involved is that uh, you know I served in the military for uh, almost sixteen years, wow. uh, twelve years active duty, and then the last bit in the reserves. And then when the vaccine mandate thing rolled down, I was like, you know, I'm not really comfortable with this, and of course, I ended up getting a boot for that, you know. And one part of me was sitting back thinking like. 
nah, this isn't right. You know what I mean? So I was like, I don't know, there's a fire in me now. Like, you know what? Something needs to be said. I need to get out of here, talk to somebody. So, you know, I'm going to the city council meetings. I'm calling my mayor. I'm getting in touch with the congressman, contacting oh, well, that's great. supervisors. You know, just like, you know, something just has to be said, man. So, you know, I appreciate you speaking to that question and yeah. giving me some good insights. Well, DJ, I, 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 uh, I hope I'm glad that you've done that. I'm glad you're standing up. I wish more Christians would. It doesn't mean we have to be become political firebrands, although many Christians did in virtue of their Christian conscience uh, during the revolution. And if there had been no Christian conscience standing up and saying no to tyranny, there would have been no United States of America. Good talking to you, DJ, and thank you for your sacrifice and your service. I'm Greg Kokel. Show stand to reason. Give them heaven, friends. Bye-bye now.